There's a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening. Welcome. I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show and to tonight's first five. Tonight, it is nearly a week before Christmas. It's a week and a day before Christmas. I certainly want to start by saying Merry Christmas to all our listeners and also Happy Hanukkah. And I'm grateful for all the listeners to this show and grateful also for 660 AM here in Dallas. Love my listeners here uh, in Colorado Springs on 1460 AM, The Answer, and 101.1 FM, Phoenix at 960, The Patriot, and also listeners in Columbus, Georgia, and Peoria, Illinois, and on Facebook Live. Hi to everyone. Thank you so very much for tuning in. also want to thank our sponsor of the show before I start tonight. GC Works is a Dallas-based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Grateful GC Works, and again, Debbie George Addis, America Can We Talk, and hello. Well, the tax bill is making its way toward the president's desk. As you recall, maybe four or five weeks ago, we had uh, the, one of the people who worked on the tax bill, Steve Moore of the Heritage Foundation, joined us to talk about the various priorities and thinking behind the tax bill. And now we're getting down to the wire. And I want to talk to you tonight about some things in the tax bill, some ways it's being talked about that are not accurate and that you, as uh, informed uh, patriots and listeners, ought to really be ready to respond to people you talk to, to uh, speak up for what the tax bill at least does have in it, because the goal, of course, is to try to have this tax bill signed before Christmas, so that it's a big, giant uh, Christmas gift from the Republican majority uh, and President Trump to the American people. So here are the highlights of the tax bill, and I'm not going to go into details and numbers, but really the, the bigger point of the tax bill is the theme of what they're trying to do with these changes in the tax bill. So let me start by saying the final the the version that came out this week has the house is is the house version and there is of course a need to get in some way, the House and the Senate are on the same page. Last week, we talked at great length about the Senate bill. I shared with you ten, uh, Senator Ted Cruz's remarks about the priorities in that bill. But we're not there yet, but we're close. And it really, really matters if, to understand what, what is going on with this. So to start with, the corporate tax rate in the House bill is, is a huge drop from 35% of the corporate tax rate down to 21. I think the Senate version had 20. But the point of it is to give a big tax reduction to corporations. I'm going to talk in a minute about why the average Joe American should think this is a great idea. This is not favoring big business over the American people. This is instead favoring businesses and the kind of free market America we all need and want to have in order to perpetuate America's economic prosperity. So big items, corporate tax rate drops 35 to 21 percent. And then there's also a huge thing on, on repatriation in the House bill. And there's repatriation thing is basically American corporations are taxed among the highest levels in the world. This bill allows, in the House version of it, allows corporations to bring back the money they've been parking in overseas accounts to avoid the American high tax rates here. As I say, highest corporate tax rates um, among the highest or the highest in the free world. So 
this repatriation rate in the House tax bill is at, I have it right here in front of me, uh, we can bring back around $2.6 trillion being held abroad to the U.S. economy at a tax rate, a reduced tax rate of 15.5% for cash and cash equivalents and 8% for illiquid assets. And I'm going to tell you, folks, presidents of both parties and other candidates running for office have promised this for years. Now it's actually in a bill. Okay, next thing is that the Democrats and um, especially Nancy Pelosi and Bernie Sanders have latched on to a new term. They're calling this this bill, this tax bill, morally obscene. It's moral obscenity is their version of what they're trying to describe this bill as. So the CBO is is saying that these lower tax rates uh, will result in increased deficit over 10 years. However, even their estimates, their estimates are based on a static analysis, meaning that they're just simply a tax cut um, and more dollars into the hands of a person and a corporation or a business to spend is just a, a, da- a dollar tax less than, than the government would have to spend, not taking into account the activity in the economy created by the more dollars in your wallet. But in any case, uh, that is on, going on and on. Um, they also, uh, there's not, there are, um, in the House bill, there are still seven tax rates for individuals. The Senate tried to drop it down to four. I guess that didn't work out. But I do want to point out to you that, you know, this, um, this tax bill, the battles between the conservatives and the liberals are really kind of astounding when you stop and think about it. Because in both cases, in the, the GOP bill in the House and the Senate, there is this increase in the um, a tax which is favored by uh, liberals and Democrats. They call it the um, the uh, taxpayer credit refund refund credit tax. But basically, it's money people who don't have any money to pay taxes. They are given money from the taxpayers, and so. The Republicans increased that amount in this tax bill. And if that's not like gobbledygook, let me narrow it down for you. We actually, as a form of redistributing wealth in America, give tax money back to people who never paid money in. That's in this bill, too. So this bill, you know, it's never going to be perfect. It's not going to be what every single person on the planet wanted. But it is a real beginning for actually setting taxes back in place. We come back from after a break. We'll talk a little bit more about the tax bill. And then we shall turn to the uh, chain immigration and what happened in New York City last week. Don't go away. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. 
America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Can you hear us now? Can you hear and welcome back to America Can We Talk. In my first five tonight, I was talking about the tax bill, and I want to make sure that the bottom line points are really clear. There is no tax bill that's ever going to make every single taxpayer, every single corporation, any every any group in Washington is not going to make every any bill is not going to make every group in Washington happy. But number one, getting a tax bill done by this House and this Senate under President Trump with a Republican House, Senate and White House is an enormous um, 
a victory for the Republicans, and it's a vital victory to have. There have been very, very few legislative victories in a time when you'd think the elected Republicans, with this majority in the House, in the Senate, and the White House, would get things done. Getting this tax bill done is designed to really invigorate the American economy, to have corporations functioning under a far less burdensome regulatory environment because the president has been cutting back on regulations that really harm American businesses. But on top of that, the the tax cuts in this bill will really inspire corporations to, they'll have more money to spend, and I'm fully aware that they're not going to spend 100% of the money they save on these taxes and these tax cuts by hiring new people. There's all sorts of other expenditures corporations could consider, and they could consider expenditures that do not immediately create more jobs. But the concept of reinvigorating the, um, the free market and reinvigorating American corporations to build and grow and provide jobs, which is really the way we should be solving the problems in our country in terms of poverty and low income, is the, is the creation of jobs. The other thing I didn't say it well, I want to be sure to say it, that the other aspect of this bill is there's a, a, a practice been going on for a long time now called the tax refund credit. And it is a it's an idea that it, we it already exists in law and the tax law. But essentially, the idea is that we in America um, we have the the government redistributes wealth in many ways. One way it redistributes wealth is to simply have a provision in the tax law for people who don't pay any taxes at all. But if they have a certain level of a lower level of income, they actually get a tax refund, even though they didn't pay taxes. But it's called a refund in part, I think, to to make it more palatable. But this bill that came out of the House and is now apparently going to be decided on uh, does include a, a great increase, a large increase in the, in the tax refund credit. So, you know, we're going to be in Washington where we have, you know, the Republicans have the majority. The Democrats are going to attack every single bill Republicans ever try to do. I think that Nancy Pelosi and Bernie Sanders hysteria over this bill is really not so much about the content of the bill, but it's about the uh aggravation, the frustration, the outrage they feel that President Trump should dare to accomplish anything. They don't think he should be allowed to accomplish anything. And a tax bill with major breaks for corporations and tax cuts for individuals and a, a, the repatriation, bringing money back here. There are many other provisions I'm not going to go into tonight. It's a, it's a strong, good tax bill. Not everything that everyone wanted, but a really important one. And I, I'm just I'm hoping it gets passed this week and that you understand that you're, what you're hearing from Nancy Pelosi and others is just their incessant rhetoric because they honestly just can't stand President Trump accomplishing anything. OK, one of the big story I wanted to hit. And, you know, sometimes we only have a show once a week. You have to deal with that reality that you only have a show once a week and big things happen on a Monday. And you can't talk about it on radio for a whole week. It's terrible. But I want to talk on a very serious, important story in America that has to do, it relates to the attack in uh, New York City last Monday, this past Monday. And as you likely all know, there was a Bangladeshi um, native uh, who is now an immigrant to America. He came here through our chain migration. And um, he came to, uh, he's been here since 2011. And he attempted, he brought a pipe bomb strapped to himself and attempted to commit a large suicide bombing in New York City. Um, pretty major misfire. He was badly injured, uh, injured two other uh, p- people in the area. And um, and did not kill anyone. So this was the good news of that. But this issue, this event raises really important questions 
for serious conservatives to really think about as we face the upcoming uh, legislative year, the legislative year in 2018, assume we get this tax bill done, a big item on the President Trump agenda and should be on the agenda of every serious conservative is major league change in immigration. Major league change in our immigration laws and our refugee laws. I want to tell you a few things about this uh, young man who did this. Um, This guy came to America from Bangladesh, and he came as part of chain migration, a a provision we have in law that essentially says once one person in your family has come to America that others can follow, you can bring over not just your spouse— not just your wife or your husband, not just your kids, but all sorts of extended relatives. And so this uh, this gentleman who came here, um, his name is Akayed Ula, last name U-L-L-H, Ula, I guess it is. Um, and he he actually talked about when he came here, uh, when he after he was arrested and he's in the hospital because he was injured. Um, he talked about he he did it because he's been uh, radicalized online, and he talked about having um, being mad about America's involvement in um, foreign affairs in some Muslim countries. And then he blathered on about how he was really upset about Jerusalem. He made some reference to Jerusalem, um, and so he's basically blaming everybody else but himself. Well, there's a couple of things you should know um, about this. Um, guy. And he's also, you know, a lot of the media was just thrilled to be able to blame President Trump about this to try to say, well, obviously, the guy's just upset about um, that, you know, President Trump wants to move the cap, wants to recognize that the capital of Israel is where the Israelis say it is, which is in Jerusalem. And they wanted to blame President Trump for this uh, conduct by this young man. But here's a few facts you should know. This young man living in New York City. Uh, who engaged in this, you know, just absolute random violent act um, five miles from where he did this five miles away. And just three days earlier, there was a uh, a sermon or I don't even know what they call them in mosques, but a, a, a message delivered um, by an imam in New York City. And this is an imam at and his name is um, Ayman El-Kabasi. And he actually in this this mosque just you know, as they say, several miles away from New York City. Um, It's in the Islamic Center of Jersey City. Three days before this attack, uh, gave a long speech available in which he basically said, it is the duty of loyal Muslims to kill all the Jews. His words. He talked about how as long as the uh, mosque in Jerusalem is um, the um, head of the, uh, you know, the, the, Mosque gets challenged in, in Jerusalem because the, the Jews claim Jerusalem as their capital. The Christians find it and know it's a holy city. The Muslims want it as a holy city. But this this uh, this imam at a mosque three days before this uh, episode in New York City uh, said, "We Allah, we ask you to grant us martyrdom on the threshold of this mosque in Jerusalem called the Al Aqsa Mosque." Um, he actually talked about their uh, the duty of people. He says, "This is what the imam said." Count them one by one. Kill them down to the very last one. Do not leave a single one on the face of the earth, referring to Jewish people. So as we talk about what President Trump has to face in the upcoming year, in terms of, and and so I should mention two other mosques in California, not, I mean, two separate ones in California, just in the last year had an imam delivering a similar message in an Islamic center to the Muslims who were there worshiping and listening to him speak, essentially saying, you have to go kill all the Jews. 
And I raise this because you we sometimes think, well, this guy was crazy. He was really, you know, driven by uh, online. He was, you know, made crazy by online things he read. He, he's one-off. These things are being said in mosques in America, in Islamic centers in America. And we have a chain migration system that does not vet those people coming to America under chain migration the same way we vet other people. And we have in this chain migration, this kind of sense of the right of, of people to, um, you know, we, we feel like morally compelled as a country to say, well, you have to, if you bring someone here, of course you want their family here. We like to unite families. We have to do a major radical rethinking in this country about whether chain migration should exist at all. A very similar concept of diversity immigration, where people get a diversity visa. They get the right to come here simply because through a random selection, we're trying to be more diverse as a country, will bring people here for uh, to, to make us a more diverse country. Nothing to do with whether the person coming here could add a skill needed, is hardworking, uh, it, it would like to participate in the American dream, embraces American values. We have allowed the immigration system to be overcome in this country by considerations very separate from what should be central, which our immigration system in our country should be at least very, very dedicated to preserving the American culture, the American economy, dedicated to preserving the idea that jobs are in America should go to Americans, that we should insist people coming here actually believe what we believe about the the notions of freedom, freedom of religion. We have a lot of thinking to do in this country, a lot we need to be considering as we come into the year 2018 and have a a revisiting of our immigration laws. And this kind of case is a great opportunity to think about them. Talking about it more after this. Don't go away. Our nation faces a choice, the path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility, whether informed the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect. 
but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. There's a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I want to make a couple other points uh, on this, uh, this whole business of what happened in New York City. Because it's, you know, you can just have a conversation and lament, how could these people do this? Why would he do this? You know, when he came to this country, he's been given so much privilege. He was an Uber driver. But I want to, there's like three different um, strands of thought, and they all matter on this topic. One is, we should as a country re-examine our priorities and ask ourselves, why are we so committed to saying that anyone who comes here, that every member of their extended family can come here? Chain migration, and I will say, I think Republicans might have been part of this, you know, 20 or however many years ago it started, I think in the 1980s, that we were trying to unite families, was very noble, lovely motive. But at this point, we have to recognize where it's taking us, we have had, in fact, I had the numbers in front of me, I think, in the, in the uh, time since uh, the uh, chain migration law started. Yeah, we have resettled 142,000 Bangladeshi national, nationals on the basis of familial ties since 2005. 142,000. 
just from this one tiny little country, Bangladesh. We have resettled that many people um, based on chain migration in this country. And so that that's one consideration. What is the reason we think it is so important to um, to do that? And, you know, I'm going to interrupt myself to say we will go back to this in the second hour because I do have a le- many more points to make. But we actually have a guest joining us, and we were having a little bit of trouble connecting with him. But now we have him on the line. I do believe we have Dr. Everett Piper joining us. And I will tell you very quickly, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, uh, Dr. Piper is the author of the now famous Not a Daycare um, message to the college students at the college where he is president, which is Oklahoma Wesleyan University. And he now has a book called Not a Daycare. And I believe we have Dr. Piper online. Hello, sir. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad you're joining us. And I'll tell you for our listeners, you know, I also um, often host the Point of View radio show. And I did have the opportunity several months ago to interview Dr. Piper in that show. And I've been just very excited about getting him on. So um, he I want to I know you've told it many times, but for our listeners, Dr. Piper, would you let them know what happened that caused you to write the famous not a daycare memo to the students at your college? Well, it was about two years ago, actually. Uh, Oklahoma Wesleyan University is boldly and unapologetically conservative and Christian, and in that context, we still have required chapel. And during a Thanksgiving chapel service, I had a student come forward and confront the speaker afterwards and actually tell the speaker that he felt offended and he felt singled out as a result of the speaker's topic. The speaker called me. I wasn't in chapel that day, and he said, hey, I want to give you a heads up. One of your students played the victimization card on me. And I said, my goodness, well, what, what was your talk? And he said, 1 Corinthians 13. Well, I was incredulous. 1 Corinthians 13, probably the least offensive uh, passage of the Bible that you could think of. Love is patient, love is kind. And we actually had a kid at a conservative Christian college, a snowflake rebellion kid, claiming <laughs> that he felt victimized by 1 Corinthians 13. So I wrote an op-ed to the newspaper, and I basically said, if you expect me to coddle you rather than confront you, you're in the wrong place. I'm not going to issue a trigger warning before an altar call. We expect you to grow up here. This is not a daycare. It's a university. And that went viral, and that's why you're talking to me today. Well, you know, I have your entire—and think, actually, the time, back at the time when you uh, wrote this, I think I read the whole thing in this show because I loved it, and I have it in front of me, but I won't do that again today. So the story of just a, a student, really, at— really any school, but at a Christian university upset about, you know, in, you know that particular passage, the New Testament and Paul's writings, that is something that many Christians choose to have read at their weddings because Absolutely. it's so beautiful and reaffirming and joyful and, uh, and you know, just creates hope. Anyway, so, so you wrote this and then you wrote a book, Not a Daycare, but I said in my promo for the show this week, the subtitle of your book is The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. It's a fabulous subtitle. And part of what I think we talked before, and I've heard you speak before, you've talked about how college campuses have shifted away from pursuing truth, knowledge, you know, whether it's about history or literature or, or any topic, we've shifted away from pursuing truth and toward just contemplating different students' feelings and perspectives and how other people's feelings make their feelings feel. And, and we've lost a concept in academia pursuing truth. Could you just talk about that? Absolutely. C.S. Lewis told us that you can do no measuring without a measuring rod outside of those things being measured. I'll say that again. You can do no measuring without a measuring rod outside of those things being measured. In other words, you have to have an objective standard to measure anything. 
And what we have today is the total disregard for objectivity, and we worship at the altar of subjectivity. In other words, we think education is about our feelings rather than facts and about getting a degree in opinions, if you will, rather than getting a degree in because you actually learned something. You know, I tell my students at Oklahoma Wesleyan University, I'm not going to pat you on the back when you graduate and hand you a diploma in opinions. That would be absurd. You know, Pol Pot and Mao and Robespierre and Chavez and Hitler and Mussolini all had opinions, and it didn't end well. But Jesus told us, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. It's only the context of objective truth that we can actually find true and lasting freedom. G.K. Chesterton said, when you get rid of the big laws of God, you don't get liberty, but rather thousands and thousands of little laws that rush in to fill the vacuum. And we can't live by ten simple laws any longer, and Jesus narrowed it down to two, and therefore what do we see? Thousands and thousands and reams upon reams of little laws, feelings, and opinions rushing in to fill the vacuum where there used to be an objective standard of truth that actually gave us the ability to be a free people in a free society. I love that. And what you're saying about truth, too, and if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Dr. Everett Piper, who is the president of the Oklahoma Wesleyan University. He's also the author of a book called Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. And for our listeners on Facebook Live, here's a book I'm going to show you on the screen. Okay. So in addition to pursuing truth about the nature of God and man and life, it's also true with respect to studying history, the same concept. We are so determined to discuss people's feelings and biases or perceptions of of biases in in history. So students leave universities not understanding the unique greatness of America and the unique greatness of freedom and and a country based on liberty and dedicated to a, a, you know, dedicated to supporting and perpetuating, upholding uh, the unique experiment in liberty that America is. I I think that's one of the most incredibly troubling things about kids leaving college today. They don't know what America is. Well, and what do our seminal documents tell us in terms of the nation's founding documents? We hold these truths to be self-evident, and those self-evident truths are endowed to us by our Creator. So we have this very acknowledgement in our founding documents that truth is an objective reality. It's self-evident. It doesn't flux with culture or with the opinion or with the feeling of the individual. It's a self-evident objective standard that endures the test of time. And it's within that context of truth with a capital T that we have a constitutional republic and a constitutionally free people. If there is no longer a constitutionally recognized standard that stays constant over time, then you don't have a free people any longer. You have fascism. And that's what you see on our campuses. You see ideological fascism rather than intellectual freedom. A fascist was a Roman bundle of sticks that was bound together so tightly it couldn't be broken. And it's from that we get the word fascist, fascism, excuse me. So it's this common bond. You must be one of us. You must agree with what we say, and you must think like we think, and you must believe what we believe, or we will crush you. We will expel you. You're verboten. And don't you see that at Cal Berkeley and UCLA (laughs) and Harvard and Yale? If you don't agree, you're expelled. They don't even want to have a free open exchange of ideas anymore. Absolutely true. And it's just astonishing because the that that uh, I think the term is projection where you project on others what you really are, are guilty of. And the notion that people who are shutting down free speech, attempting to silence anyone they find they're offended by are calling the people they don't like fascists when, when it is actually the people who are doing the shutting down who are engaging in behavior that you just described as fascist. It's astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. 
And again, let me repeat that. A fascist was this bundle of sticks. You couldn't break it. It was bound together. There was the commonality of the twigs that made it um, unbreakable. And it's from that the concept of fascism comes, because you've got to be part of the group. And if you're not part of the group, the group will crush you. And that's what you see at these protests in Berkeley. If you have a contrary idea, if you have an unpopular idea, if you don't agree with the group, the common bond, the fascists, they will silence you. And that is the antithesis of the liberal arts academy. The word liberal within the liberal arts academy stood for what? Liberty and liberation and freedom (laughs) and justice. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Not your opinions, not your feelings, but the facts. Truth sets you free. Love that. Dr. Piper, you know, I have so many different directions I'm going to go with you, and I know we have trouble connecting tonight. We have a break coming up. Are you able to hold on during the break? It's like four minutes. Can you do that? Sure. Sure, Great. I will. Okay. When we come back, because I want to pursue a bunch of different lines uh, to finish out what really was happening to college students, how they're going to, what's it going to happen to America if we have students who have lost this notion of pursuing truth. But then I want to turn to and talk about how all this loss of truth and morality is being played out in the headlines we're all watching today about Chris Matthews and others. Don't go away. Be right back. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection 
from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. We are speaking tonight with Dr. Everett Piper. He is the author of the book, Not a Daycare, president of the Oklahoma Wesleyan University. And actually also, just he's become a quite a prominent public speaker. He's uh, often on news programs. And we, my husband and I actually were honored to hear him speak at a conservative conference earlier in the year. And he, you know, this kind of uh, mission, I guess you'd call it, he's on now, is to awake America up about you know, what is the consequence of letting all sorts of, um, of letting our sense of truth and in, in public univer- in universities, our sense of, as a society, let, let our sense of truth kind of flounder because we're too busy worrying about people's feelings and their emotions. So um, love what you're writing and talking about. Um, I did want to ask you about, so you spoke up as a president of Oklahoma Wesleyan. You have, you know, you certainly are no other college presidents. Do you feel like there's a, is there some effort in, the, in other universities besides yours to to raise awareness about this, to encourage students to, to uh, encourage, I guess, faculty and, and the administrations to insist on a return to pursuing truth versus just letting this kind of lackadaisical failure method continue? Well, unfortunately, the answer isn't all that encouraging. There are a few. I mean, I'd be arrogant to suggest that I'm the only one that's saying this. But the reason you're talking to me, probably, and the reason that the listeners are interested in this conversation, probably, is because you're not hearing it from very many other people. In other words, the academy is sick. The ivory tower is sick. We've created this monster, and it's turning around to bite us, and many of my peers, faculty and other presidents, don't know what to do about it. And the reason is they don't have a biblical worldview. They don't honor the objective reality of truth. They've been drinking the Kool-Aid of post-modernity where you can make it up as you go, and it doesn't matter what you believe as long as it works for you and all this pablum. (laughs) They actually believe that nonsense, and now when they see it actually coming home to roost, they don't know what to do. So I think the answer to your question is, 
No, there aren't that many other college presidents or other faculty, unfortunately, even within the Christian college ranks, that really want to confront this nonsense head on and say, we have created this, it's consuming us, this um, ideas have consequences. And how dare we suggest that the bad ideas we've been teaching for the last 30, 40, 50 years aren't somewhat responsible for the mess we find ourselves in today within the academy and the broader, and the broader culture. Wow, that was the wrong answer. Actually, I was hoping you'd say yes. <laughs> no, I, I because we've spoken before. I, I know I that you have made that observation. I do feel like you know it's kind of funny. People in the uh, who attended college twenty, thirty, forty years ago watch what's happening, and they read these stories about college campuses like Berkeley. You mentioned there are many, many others. They, they don't have to be the radical left wing colleges. Really, many allegedly mainstream colleges, certain, certainly Ivy League colleges, are dealing with all of this. And you see, you know, just crazed protests at Harvard over someone's comment about Halloween costumes or and just, just the, the, the ongoing list of ones. You, and you just, what you get concerned about is, you know, are these young people going to emerge from college and then kind of then get a dose of reality and turn around? Or are we really creating a generation that cannot lead this country someday? I mean, these... Somebody in these universities we are now watching are going to be America's leaders. I mean, doesn't that get you, cause you concern? Absolutely. And you heard me speak, and I'm going to mention it again tonight. Richard Niebuhr's seminal work in 1948 was titled Ideas Have Consequences. And what was his point? Ideas have consequences. You hardly even need to crack the book to understand what he was saying. Ideas matter. And if you teach good ideas, you get good culture, good kids, good country, good community. If you teach bad ideas, you get the opposite. Now, why is 1948 critical in my little anecdote here? It's because Richard Weaver was writing about just a handful of years earlier. It was called World War II. It was called the Nazi regime. It was called the Third Reich. And he was saying, Hitler told us, let me control the textbooks and I will control the state. We should have seen this coming. And because we imbibed these terrible ideas, we suffered the consequences and we need to wake up and recognize that what you teach in the classroom will be practiced tomorrow in your courtrooms and in your culture. Ideas matter. Okay. Well, you know, it's one way we're, we're seeing this right now. And I actually saw, I didn't see the interview. I read about it later. But I think you were interviewed, uh, it's either Tucker Carlson or one of the main news shows, talking about the headlines we're now seeing around the country um, about uh, sexual harassment. And, and, you know, we had the Harvey Weinstein whole long story we talked about in the show before. We've had... Um, uh, you know, we had the most recent revelations about Chris Matthews and all sorts of people in elected office. And, you know, it, it's what I, I had the same thought. Now, I'm, and I was glad that you mentioned it in this interview, and I want to have you address it. But I remember thinking at the time, well, we've had decades of uh, dissolving morality or kind of mocking of traditional Christian morality to where it isn't all that shocking that people don't have any borders. They don't have any guardrails anymore. They don't know because they've been kind of told anything goes. And I'm, I'm, you know, there's obviously a connection between uh, that observation and what we're talking about in the college, university, and campuses. Oh, spot on. And I wrote an article last week for the Washington Times, and I titled it, Teach Luxury and You Get Lectures. And I basically said, why are we surprised at this? We've been teaching sexual amorality for decades. Why are we surprised to see immoral men acting that, uh, acting that out in, the, in, the, in, their, in their office, uh, in, uh, in the public square, uh, TV, movie, movies, whether it be Harvey Weinstein or whether it be Matt Lauer or Chris Matthews? Why are we surprised with this? Well, when I criticized or critiqued the public schools as being possibly 
complicit in creating this problem. The public schools in my local area came unglued. How dare you challenge us? How dare you suggest that we're culpable for this problem? Well, my land, don't you believe as an educator that your ideas matter and that you're shaping the behavior and beliefs of your students? Well, if you don't, you better quit teaching. Well, then if you're shaping the behavior and the beliefs of your students and they're behaving poorly, maybe you ought to start addressing the very ideas that you've been feeding them because it could be that the cancer of heart, mind, and soul is caused by the ideas they're consuming. And if you want to cure cancer, you might want to stop consuming carcinogens in the first place. Ideas have consequences. Our school systems are culpable in this problem. You know, it's interesting, too, because when the Bible and basically Christianity was kind of driven out of the public schools as a result of Supreme Court decisions in the 1960s, you know, that the notion of even referring and, and, and sex education grew as a prominent thing in, uh, and it you know, starts in very young grades now in junior and elementary school, junior high school, high school. If you're going to be teaching, um, you know, safety and, and about human sexuality, and you are devoid of any mention of morality. In fact, I think probably some of the teachers in public schools don't think they can say things like, you know, uh, at least for our Christian and, and frankly, our Jewish and Christian friends here, morality is, is shaped around uh, and your involvement in this, in, in human intimacy is shaped by the Bible, by your teachings of uh, what the nature of man and life and, and God's laws are. But they can't say it anymore. They have no context in the public schools to even say anything about morality as it relates to, to uh, human intimacy. Well, C.S. Lewis told us uh, in the, I can't remember if it was The Great Divorce or Mere Christianity, where he said, We created men without chests. We laugh at honor and we, we laugh at honor and we find traitors in our midst. We've gelded the stallion and then we build him, bid him be fruitful. We've severed the organ and we demand the function. Well, don't we see that today in our educational system? We've laughed at honor. We've laughed at morality. We make a joke out of being sexually uh, responsible and a sexually moral human being, and we teach our kids that sex is nothing but uh, a, a recreational decision. Well, of course they're going to start practicing the very behaviors we've taught them to engage in. Jay Middle Schools in Oklahoma, Jay, Oklahoma, for middle school kids, actually had lectures on anal sex and oral sex for 12- and 13-year-old boys and girls. Edmond, Oklahoma, in its approved reading list, has erotica rape. Cherry Ridge and Fox Ridge in Colorado has a portal that takes the students, the middle school students, to uh, homosexual erotica. So don't we think these ideas are going to show up later, later on in the lives of these kids? When they're 12, we teach them this stuff, and then when they're 22, we're surprised that they're acting on this stuff. When you teach misogyny, you're going to get misogynists, and that's what I'm trying to say in my teach lecture. You're going to get lectures. There are consequences for the ideas that we teach. I love that. Another thing that's uh, similar, or uh, uh, another issue related to all this, is that there was a whole notion that um, about women uh, in, in traditional morality that women were to be honored, respected, and um, and cherished and protected and. There was a uh, a notion as we you know allegedly advance as a society that we don't need to be so protective of women that they because they're equal we don't have to be uh, think of uh, human intimacy as something that we're trying to uh, protect women from. In fact, there's a there's a feminist element that is kind of uh, agitating to be on an equivalent moral grounding with men and, and equivalent and, and I and it's a it's a so that people who would advocate for more traditional sexual morality 
are mocked as being disrespectful of women or not letting women have their equal place. And just it seems like so much of that is uh, so much of our society has been just um, permeated with that notion that morality, uh, that that women especially need to be uh, not treated, uh, that, that being protective of women is somehow demeaning or treating them as second class citizens when it's really elevating them. And I'm sorry, that was a long ramble to get around. It's really elevating women to speak to about them and think of them in, in a way to be protected. And spot on. And what are we seeing right now? Women are being degraded. We've taught young boys to degrade women. We've taught young boys to objectify women. Look at the cover of Sports Illustrated. We're treating women like objects of recreation. It's on the cover of Sports Illustrated. So why are we surprised when Matt Lauer grows up, he actually treats women that way? Ideas have consequences. And by the way, with regard to the whole issue of consensual sex, what I said on Tucker Carlson's show earlier this week Consent dumbs down the decision to nothing other than the other person's choice. It takes all the responsibility off of me, and it puts all the responsibility on another person that I can just find to consent. If I can find a willing accomplice, if you will, <laughs> what was wrong five minutes ago, because right, simply because somebody consented, is that really the measure of morality that we want as a culture? Is that all that's going to define the morality of a decision? that we can find someone else to consent to our libidinous appetite. Another great point. We're about out of time on this segment. I do want our listeners, if they want to know more about you and, and, and your, not just your book, but your book, your mission, what you're trying to do, how do they learn more about you? Where can they go? Please remember my book. It's titled Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. You can go to notadaycare.com. It's a great Christmas gift. It's an Amazon.com bestseller. You can follow me on Twitter. It's Dr. Everett Piper. That's D-R-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-P-I-T-E-R. And please go to Oklahoma Wesleyan University and learn more about us and our bold and unapologetic stand on the truth of Christ and the truth of Scripture. Dr. Everett Piper, I just uh, I commend you for your book. And actually, I tell listeners, it's a great read. I loved reading this book. I encourage you all to go to his website, buy the book, and also come back after the break. And Dr. Piper, thanks so much for joining us. Blessings and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. We'll be right back, folks.